Okay, well, I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense's Bloggers Roundtable for Monday, October 22nd, 2012. My name is William Selby, the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating the roundtable today. Uh, today we have Lieutenant General Francis Frank Rosinski, Commander of U.S. Army Pacific, to discuss how the Pacific rebalance is affecting land forces such as the U.S. Army Pacific. He will also address Pacific partnerships and their function of enhancing security and stability in the Pacific. A note to the bloggers on the line, please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Please keep your questions to the point, and if you are not asking a question, we please ask that you place your phone on mute. Uh, what is the Army going to be doing, uh, if anything, similar to what yeah. the Marines are doing in, in Darwin? We, we don't believe that uh, forward basing uh, is the right way to go for the Army um, in the Pacific. There's really not an appetite out there from our allies, partners, and friends for people permanent on the ground. And quite frankly, there's not an appetite for it here uh, in our own country to have any more forces forward positioned. What we do believe is important is the engagement and exercise program so that we know each other uh, and that we know each other's techniques, tactics, procedures, doctrine, and we rotate our forces on 30, 45-day exercises. Uh, we also believe that forward prepositioning of equipment uh, in key locations that yet to be determined uh, reduces that tyranny of distance that is the Pacific. Uh, and then all we have to do is rotate forces, which is very easy. People, uh, transportation is easy. It's the equipment that's much more difficult and takes a lot more time. So that, that's, that, that is the general direction in which we're headed and where our thought process is. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Chuck. Gail Harris is next on the line. General, well, thank you uh, for taking the time. Gail Harris with the Foreign Policy Association. I was uh, looking uh, at the news this morning and saw that yet there's another uh, North Korean threat. Who knows uh, what's going to happen? There might just be talk concerning the fires for free North Korea floating uh, by balloon 200,000 leaflets. Uh, you know, the North Koreans, as usual, are talking a lot of trash. So I was wondering, uh, in your opinion, as we're looking at more budget cuts and whatnot, have you and your planners given thought to the best way to be sized to respond to threats in the region, particularly as you're talking about, just as you just said, about uh, not forward deploying people necessarily, but the capability to forward deploy. Well, and I think you, you said it right there, capability uh, and being better prepared. And that's why we believe rotating forces in that are already trained and not going through the drill of constant individual replacement uh, in South Korea makes us even better prepared and postured uh, to help our South Korean uh, allies should something occur. What we really want to do is continue to dialogue, continue to maintain a peace and stability, and continue to discuss with the North Korean government and have our governments all talking so that we don't get into the conflict. In, in the first place, it will not serve anyone's national interest if we have to go to conflict across the DMZ. And everyone knows that and no one wants it. Uh, I firmly believe that, uh, that the people and the leadership that we have on the ground uh, in South Korea is firmly committed to that. 
they're, they're constantly talking with our South Korean allies. We're constantly aware that there are going to be North Korean provocations. It always happens. It's part of their cycle. We know this. Uh, we just need to be prepared, and calm heads have to prevail uh, when things like that do occur. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, and on to Andrew Lubin. General Andrew Lubin from Leatherneck Magazine. Appreciate you taking the time, sir. Hello, Andrew. General, much of uh, the efforts in the Pacific are HADR efforts. You know, Philippines, Bangladesh, Indonesia, you, you know the news. Uh, would you only be training the soldiers for any HADR efforts, or are you going to really say North Korea emphasize only? Uh, no, and that is a tremendous question because, quite frankly, none of us can predict uh, what's going to happen in the future except for one thing. I can absolutely tell you that there will be a natural disaster in the Asia-Pacific soon. I mean, we just do. It's, it's the factor of the neighborhood that we live, either earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, typhoons. It, it, it's part of the nature. So being prepared for humanitarian assistance and disaster relief is, is a key mission, and we know that. In fact, many, many of our training exercises, in fact, most, are HADR. This year's Cobra Gold uh, exercise, for as an example, in Thailand, which is a multinational event, uh, is focused on humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. Um, I think all of the nations that we have in the region are focused in this area because we know that that is an enemy that is constantly with us and will attack at some point in time in the near future. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. Michelle, you are not, you're next. Yes, and thank you for joining us, General. I w am curious to know about the current events that they've had pertaining to the medics. I know recently you had visited there but with the uptake and increase of the medical facilities in the region there, is that anything to do with closing of any of the other other branch facilities as far as medicals were concerned? I'm not sure what you're talking uh, where you're focused, Michelle. Which country? Uh, t uh, in the uh, Japanese area and the medics. They recently did the medics 12. Oh, okay, sure. The <laughs> I'm very familiar with the MedX-12 because when I was the commander in Japan, I tried to do that exercise, but it, uh, it never came to fruition. So I've been working on this for about five years, um, and it's finally come through. We, we are blessed to have three full medical sets um, in Sagamihara Depot in, in Japan, and you're just dying to get that out and make sure that, first of all, it's functional, and secondly, that we can back up what we say. Uh, and the medics exercise clearly show that we had hundreds of uh, VIP visitors, not only from Japan but from the United States and, and, and from elsewhere, that came to see that exercise. It was also a great message to the Japanese people uh, because we, we demonstrated that what we have there is our, our, is equipment that, that can be used for a myriad of, of operations, but especially for humanitarian assistance disaster relief. And in Japan, that's very critical, uh, given what they just had in Operation Tomodachi uh, in northeast uh, of Japan on Honshu, uh, with both the earthquake, the tsunami, and the uh, nuclear uh, accident that occurred as a, uh, as a reason of that earthquake. So things like that 
you know, are not only to, to, for readiness and for being prepared, it's also a tremendous strategic communications message uh, to all our allies and partners and friends. Will you be able to bring in, I notice since Tomodachi especially, that seems to be where the Army has increased on, the, on these, on with MedX-12. Will they make this completely operational to where anyone in the area, the Pacific area, where that will be a mainstay, where they will be bringing them in as well as into the uh, naval area? I can't say that for sure. It's, it's, it's very expensive to do that MedEx exercise, and we try to space it out. Uh, this was a first step, uh, and I think it was a tremendous first step. Uh, it, it paid huge dividends, and I'm hoping that we can continue to sustain that uh, over time, but it has to be thought through, and we have to make sure that uh, what we're doing, we get the biggest bang for the buck, because uh, we don't want to waste resources, and we want to make sure that we have all the right people available for the MedEx exercise, and that we're not wasting resources or time. So it, it, it's going to be in the future, but I can't really tell you exactly how we're going to do that yet. We're assessing that and conducting our after-action reviews now, but I can tell you it was a huge success and that if it comes to me, I definitely want to continue to sustain that, not only in Japan but in other areas. We'd like to get that up before that potential natural disaster you mentioned occurs. Uh, exactly. But what we do know is the equipment's there. It is in first-class shape. We can roll that out very care, very quickly, and it's already forward deployed. So we take out that tyranny of distance uh, of either having to ship it by air or by vessel, and it's that much closer to any natural disaster in the AOR. Good, good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. And on to uh, Phyllis Zimbler-Miller. She was next. Yes, Phyllis Zimbler-Miller, missileslieutenant.blogspot.com. And what I'm interested in knowing more about is how the U.S. Army is working with the U.S. Navy in the Pacific Rim, particularly in connection with the hotly contested islands such as the Spratly Islands, with the threats of China and everyone in the region claiming um, ownership and threatening each other. Well, I think U.S. policy is very clear here. And, you know, the United States, the United States uh, makes no claim on either side of what's happening there in the South China Sea or the, or the islands about we continue to encourage people to work through international law, all the laws that have been established over the years, and to work this out peacefully uh, with dialogue. We are not taking a position uh, in any of those cases right now. Are you doing any exercises or planning with the U.S. Navy for contingency? No, we're not. Okay. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. And Chris Carroll, you were next. Uh, yeah, thanks, General. Um, hey, there's this sense or like a, a buzz, if you will, that in uh, things like the like air-sea battle, that the strategic uh, center of balance in the Pacific has moved, is, is with the, the Navy and the Air Force and perhaps the Marines, and not the Army. And that's the, the Army has perhaps been kind of marginalized, at least in this conceptual framework. Can you respond to that and kind of talk about um, how the Army sees itself playing a role in potential future Pacific conflicts other than perhaps on the yeah. Korean Peninsula? Sure. Uh, let me start off by, tell, by, by saying this. Seven of the top ten militaries in the world are in the Asia-Pacific. Of the 36 nations, 28 of those nations have militaries. 27 of the 28 nations that have militaries are Army-dominant. 21 of the chiefs of defense 
of those nations are army generals. The Asia Pacific, we live in the human domain, the land domain. It's where people are affected. And the human, the human state is affected from anything from humanitarian assistance, disaster relief, to, to armed conflict. It involves human beings on the ground, uh, and that takes an army to sustain that. We have Title X responsibilities for every service, Arm, uh, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and our own Army, uh, that have to be sustained. Uh, those titles like fuel and logistics um, that requires the Army. Um, and we are the service uh, that's in there for the long haul. Uh, when something occurs on the ground, it's the Army that has the staying power uh, that is there to assist. Now, we do that absolutely in conjunction with all our other service brethren. Uh, no one can act alone. We, we, we require the Air Force to do its part, the Navy to, to maintain those sea lines of communication, um, and, and our Marine Corps brethren uh, who have a particular capability. Uh, it, it takes all of us to do the mission and to do the job. Thank you very much. Is that you? Did you get that, Chris? Uh, yeah, I did. General, if you could, uh, I, the last part of my question was about sort of talking about how the Army sees it, you know, it, it sees itself in potential future conflicts, like, you know, how, how it sees itself uh, in conflicts other than, you know, on the Korean Peninsula. Well, sure. We have to be prepared across the entire spectrum. I mean, no one could have predicted 13 years ago, I don't think many of us could have predicted Afghanistan or a 9-11. Before that, I mean, uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, no one predicted that. And, and I've, I've heard people for the th 33 years of my career uh, who have tried to predict the future, and, you know, they're perfect at it. They got it wrong every time. Uh, and I don't think we can sit here and say that this will happen or this won't happen. Uh, as I said before, the only thing I know it's going to happen is a natural disaster. Um, so we've got to be prepared. We don't have the luxury in our profession of time to be able to turn to the President of the United States or the American people and say, I know you've called on us to do something here, but we need a little bit more time to train for it because we really didn't think it was going to happen. And we just don't have that luxury. So we're prepared across the entire spectrum and will remain prepared and vigilant uh, against anything that could occur. Thanks. You bet. And Sean, you were next. Yes, hello. Um, thanks very much uh, uh, for doing this, General. Sure. Um, I wanted to ask a couple of questions, actually, if I might uh, sure. take that liberty. So I wanted you to talk um, about the partnership with South Korea, and in particular, you know, these, these new missile, this new missile uh, agreement and, um, you know, with op the OPCON, forthcoming change of OPCON control. And just, uh, you know, I know that uh, Minister Kim's going to be in uh, Washington this, uh, this week. Uh, if you could just, you know, give us some sort of 30,000 foot, where's this going in terms of the partnership with the South Koreans? And, and then the other question, again, it's a partnership question, can you just talk about some of the relationships that you have there? I mean, I, I, I read something about an Australian uh, being, uh, being, being uh, somehow like the deputy commander of uh, operations 
for for USR Pack. Did I get that wrong? Can you can you talk a little bit about that, sure. Rick Burr? Sure, John. Let me uh, matter of fact, let me start with that. On four November, uh, Major General Rick Burr of the Australian Army will become my Deputy Commanding General for Operations at USAR Pack. Uh, this is the first time that we have had a foreign general officer at USERPEC. It's, it's certainly not the first time the United States Army has had that. Our corps, many of our corps headquarters, have uh, foreign officers that are deputy commanding generals or on staffs. But for U.S. Army Pacific, this is, this is a first. Um, it was a decision that our two governments made, and uh, General Rick Burr is a tremendous professional officer. I, I know him very well. Uh, he comes with uh, his family, and uh, he will be a permanent member uh, of our staff. And I'm truly looking forward to it, and I believe all of our partners in the, in the region are also looking forward to it. Sean, your question about uh, uh, Korea, uh, missiles and, you know, the, the OPCON transfer, it, it's really not my lane. Uh, I would redirect that question to, to General Thurman, uh, the CFC commander. Uh, he deals with that on a daily basis, and, and it's really his lane uh, to be discussing. I can talk about our partnership with South Korean forces. You know, we've been doing this for 60 years. Uh, my first uh, my first deployed exercise was to South Korea as a brand-new second lieutenant, uh, and I have been going back to uh, South Korea for 33 years. We have a tremendous relationship with the South Korean military, uh, and in our case, particularly the South Korean Army. Uh, brand new commanding uh, chief of staff of the South Korean Army, General Cho, I've known him for the last three years. Uh, and it's that type of relationship. We know each other. And, and I can't tell you how important that is. Relationships matter. And engagement matters. Uh, because it's so, I, I find it so easy for people to say, no over a computer, but it's very difficult to say no to someone face-to-face, -face, particularly when you know them. Uh, and it makes operations that much easier when you can pick up the phone and the person you're talking to you have a relationship with. I feel like it's like that in, in South Korea, and, and, and we have a great relationship. When the OPCON transfer occurs, uh, and General Thurman works this every single day, uh, it, that's a whole-of-government approach, and that's all services, not just the Army. Uh, so I, I would redirect that question to him. We are moving out smartly to do this. Uh, it is going to continue. We are moving in that direction, and that's what we work on on a daily basis to ensure that that is going to happen seamlessly and transparently. Do you, if I could just very briefly follow up, do you... I mean, is this a kind of a, a sort of maturation, really, of the of the South Korean role in this uh, in this partnership at all? I mean, well, well, clearly, I've seen South Korean military uh, evolve over the 33 years that I've been working uh, with them. Uh, they become a tremendously professional force. Uh, they work extremely hard. Uh, their leadership. Uh, has matured and evolved over the 33 years that I have seen it. Um, so if you want to, if maturation is the word that, that you've used, I, I think that could be, but I, I think it's time. I think that the, we have all seen that. Our two governments are working this uh, very closely. And I believe that 
in the end, it might be what it started out to be. It could change. It could be different. But it is coming to its fruition, and we are moving out in that direction. Thanks very much. And, sir, did you have uh, time for any more questions? or? I probably have time for one more question. Dale, you were first online. Did you have a, a follow-up? I did. Um, General, with that kind of uh, extended deployment, do uh, you have enough airlift to support your plans for that? For, you're talking about South Korean and, and... Right, yes, sir. Um, South Korea in particular, but the rest of the uh, Pacific also, in order to reach forward after your troops are in the positions they're currently in. Well, th I think that's one of the reasons. If you have your equipment pre-positioned forward or afloat, uh, where you don't require a great many sorties uh, to move equipment, and all you're moving is troops... I mean, quite frankly, I could move uh, an entire battalion of soldiers in two 747s. Um, and that's an incredible savings instead of shipping and multiple sorties of C-17s and C-5s to move heavy equipment. If, if, if we can have it pre-positioned in strategic locations or afloat, we reduce the, once again, the tyranny of distance, we reduce the time factor, and we reduce the cost factor uh, for our capabilities in the region. You have to pay more for the equipment in order to deploy it because your troops will need it for training on their current uh, sites instead of having it up front. Well, what, one, of the, one of the things that's happening right now is a lot of the equipment is coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan, and it has to go somewhere. So. One of the smartest ways right now is instead of doing something mothballing or, or just having it sit somewhere uh, in CONUS, we have the equipment already. We could just use that and pre-position it so it's prepared for us to be able to do our exercises or engagements out here in the Asia Pacific. Okay, thanks. You Perfect. Know, you bet. Sir, That's great. We want to thank you very much for your time that you've uh, given us today, and thank you to all the bloggers online who participated. Did you have any comments that you'd like to say to wrap up things today? I just appreciate your time. I appreciate your thoughtful questions. I think they were all great. Uh, this refocus in the Pacific, is, uh, I'm seeing it. Uh, and quite frankly, it's, uh, it's a good place to be in my shoes right now. Uh, it's a very exciting time out here. Thank you very much, sir. And just a note to everybody on the line, the audio from this roundtable will be up sometime tomorrow morning in the a.m. Um, or you, you know, you, you'll be able to go to either Divids or DODLive.mil to grab the uh, audio. Again, I'd like to thank everybody on the line. Thank you very much, General Rosinski. And this concludes today's call. Please feel free to disconnect at this time. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah,